0: Investing Insights with Right Property Group. Exploring trends in real estate and helping property investors gain financial security.
1: Welcome everyone to 2023, the first recorded version of Investing Insights. This is uh, where we guide you through the conflicting signals that we're seeing in the property market. And this is going to be really interesting with um, economists divided as to how the markets panned out, whether we're at the bottom or are we approaching the bottom, with the Reserve Bank sending mixed signals in terms of whether we're at the top of the rate rise cycle or there's more to come. And the information on the ground is very different to what the economists are saying. But before we do that, uh, welcome back to Steve Waters. Steve, I believe that you spent the last month and a half on your boat counting and accounting for the millions that you've gained in equity over the last two years and how you're going (laughs) to spend it this year.
0: (laughs) No, that's not quite the story. (laughs) Uh, I was accounting for how many litres uh, of fuel I used and how expensive it is now, which is all part of the inflationary environment that we're in. But no, it was a good break. It's good to be back. Yes, it is. Um, I always love those moments of flux, you know, where there is conflicting information and Peter's saying this and Mary's saying that. Mm -hmm. And in the middle is where that grey area is, where I guess people will make decisions based on their own scenario and some will do very well and some perhaps won't. Absolutely. Uh, But it's always that moment of flux, once again, that's exciting. Yeah, and and we find
1: that take 2023 away uh, even at any point in time in our investing journey, when there is conflicting information, when they, when there is a little bit of uncertainty in the market, the people that lose money are the ones that react out of fear and out of poor information and do a knee-jerk reaction, whereas the people that uh, actually take assertive action, they really set themselves up for uh, the next cycle of property where we set out the foundation and the benefits of what you do in this period, is reaped in the following years as the cycle turns.
0: It's a good point because if you're inactive, that's you know, that's where the issue is. Mm. And inactive, being sorry, being active doesn't, in our asset class, mean that you're going out there and you're purchasing, but it just means you are part of the process. You should be part of the pro- process. Once again, not necessarily purchasing, but you should be adjusting rates, adjusting incomes uh, in terms of rent, insurances, yeah. you know, whatever you need to do to stay in tune mm. with the pulse of your own situation but also the pulse of you know, the broader macro point of view as well. But I think if we go back and look at these different crises through the years, the biggest transfer of wealth have happened at that point yes, in time. it has. Uh, every single time. And even in our, I guess, in the scheme of things, short history uh, of doing what we do and being investors, so 23 26, 26 years now. 26 years. Yeah. Well, you are older. <laughs> it's uh, 23, 24 for me. Uh, and yeah, uh, even as a uh, consultancy service of yeah. over 15 mm. uh, years, we have, I guess in hindsight, been fortunate enough to experience these different markets and yep. some were pretty ordinary and some were fantastic. But during those times of, I guess, negative sentiment, during those times of economic hard times were, was when the real wealth was created mm. because it wasn't a matter of buy today you're a millionaire tomorrow yep. it was about controlling the good asset when most people couldn't
1: and setting the pieces up
0: setting the pieces of the jigsaw puzzle mm-hmm. together for the future and even go back as far as the GFC which is you know, the biggest one potentially yep. um, it wasn't that long ago in the scheme of things but also it didn't last that long mm when you look back at it retrospectively and that and when I when I refer to it didn't last that long, I mean the sequence of events in terms yeah. of the time it hit to what the market did mm. to how it ebbed sideways to how it recovered yeah. and continued. And it wasn't as evident
1: at the time while it was playing out, right? When oh, that's you look back that's the key back, when the you, look key. back yep. you can see right, and 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 uh, you can see that success leaves uh, clues along the way, right? So the people that navigated that time of the market, that time of the cycle um, did really well by taking assertive action. And, and sometimes the assertive action could very well be that you shuffle around what you've already got as opposed to buying more properties or as opposed to seeing whether you can qualify for more finance. Uh, and again, like you said earlier, it comes back to what your circumstances are and uh, how you can make good of. Um, the, the, the market as it plays out. Uh, the biggest concern that, that we see, and, and if you look at the media articles and, and if you look at um, the property reporters that are reaching out to us, is how can we afford to hold on? Or is, is property affordable? Uh, the reality of it, if you look at it historically, and, and I know, yes, we're talking about interest rates, the fastest rate rise it has had in the last 70 odd years. And that's significant, right? So that includes the 19 percenters. True. That yeah, yeah. So, um, when you look at that, historically, high interest rates have been around for 18 to 24 months before lending eases out. The rates may not come down, but lending eases out. The cost to hold starts to improve because rents do go up. Uh, and if you, so if you're looking at, say, what's the playing field looking like in 2023, it's not about cash flow. Well, it is, but it's not. Um, so what I mean by that is that you can't fixate on getting cash flow positive properties. You do need to fixate on, can you afford to hold on to the property, the debt, with the cash flow that you have available in the household for the next two years, because that's when you're going to see some major growth.
0: It's a good point, because most people have fixated on, I guess, what the property produces in our mm-hmm. asset field, which is, let's clear that's a very very important piece of the The puzzle but so so too is the household budget and how you can fix repair increase you know whatever it may be to you Mm. so that you're in a position to be able to do something or nothing but do nothing comfortably and that's where the yeah the inflection point is right because that all runs back down into consumer confidence which then flows and ebbs throughout the economy and that starts to spin the wheels uh, of the economy and if we look at some of that I guess that conflicting information that we're seeing in the market today, when and the market is the media market, mm-hmm. uh, then there's the data market, and then there's the ground truth yep. element. So we have a. If we look at the, the different reports in and around consumer confidence, it, it's a very low point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it. Um, and there's no doubt about that. Yeah, there are certain segments of the the consumer market that is struggling. Without doubt, can't be argued it's a fact and so consumer confidence is 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 very very low and as a result of that which side note that's what the rba want yeah in a very simplistic view they want you to hurt mm. they want you to stop spending so we can get inflation under control but there's also an element out there that are that are potentially more sophisticated thinkers for one of a better way to describe it that are seeing an opportunity now, the opportunity might not be right here, right now, but they're in the work-up stage mm-hmm. to be in a position to take advantage of whatever that opportunity looks like to them. I'm not necessarily talking about property. It could be shares, business, alpacas, you know, whatever it may be. Um, but they're not, they're not letting the current circumstances dictate where they're going to end up. Mm-hmm. It just might be a moment in time to consolidate, rejig, replan, plan re-strategise to be in a position to take advantage in the future. So the consumer confidence in some parts of the market is low, in some parts it's tracked sideways, and there are some out there rubbing their hands with glee. Always the case. Then we look at how that is translated into data, and the data is showing us that retail spend is off Mm -hmm. somewhat, um, not as much as what the RBA would like. Uh, It's showing us that people are starting to tighten the belts, which is what the RBA wants. But on the ground, I'm seeing plenty of people still splash cash. Yeah. Now, whether that's from a form of stupidity or whether that's uh, because they are extremely confident in their own unique position, whatever that looks like. I'm not talking about property here. I'm talking about consumer goods, mm. um, big ticket items, boats, cars, planes, um, and the like, you know, yep. they're confident enough in their position now. Whether they've got big buffets, whether buffets, buffers, sorry, Warren, um, whether they've got big buffers, uh, whether they've got ample credit, whether they're cashed up, you know, who knows? But they're still spending it. And then we go to the the rawest form in our asset class, which is, you know, I guess, what the media are telling us, yes. and in combination with what the data is showing us where there's been some pretty significant price falls in certain areas of the country, mm-hmm. and I sort of emphasise certain areas, uh, and that the market is generally in free fall according to the metre. To the data. to the And to the data, yeah. correct, yeah. Um, but on the ground, that's not the case. No, it's not. So if we look at a conflicting piece of data in and around that, we have – Versus ground truth, Uh, there are parts of the country where they're at record pace price drops, yet some of our team were out at open homes last weekend where there was in excess of 50 people at the open home Mm. and the property sold on the day for $65,000 more than asking price, which has a a percentage representation of the initial asking price, which was $435,000. That's a good chunk. Yep. So there's confidence there. Now, I think it was an investor that bought it. So an investor understands, I guess, the the holistic view or top down of what's happening in the economy. Mm. And yet there are others that are definitely struggling in terms of mortgage arrears, um, albeit we're nowhere near what we were at the GFC. Yep. It's only a blip at this stage, except for those that are, mm. then it's, it's a real thing. Um, but the... The interesting thing is, in terms of conflicting data, there is some elements of truth to it. In fact, there's probably 50% of elements of truth to it. And it's this: the stuff that we, from a commercially orientated view, should be, I guess, happy Mm -hmm. about, and that is the vacancy rate. Now, I don't want to be smashed by the tenants unions and things like that when it's not about being an evil landlord or a slumlord or anything like that. In fact, further from the truth. but we're at record low vacancy rates. And we've talked about this for five years now, yep. that this, this point in time will happen. Mm-hmm. Record low, since they've kept records, which is something that is only going to get worse. Mm-hmm. Yeah? So as landlords, those that have experienced this before, that have their buffers in place, that have their serviceability packaged, and who have had a strategy and they've prepared for this moment in time it's probably not a bad time yeah to entertain investing
1: absolutely and and uh, the old adage of you know you you uh, buy when everyone else is fearful and you sell when everyone else is greedy uh, in that sense right so let's explore the moving parts that we are seeing that that are causing the conflict uh, in terms of what's being reported in the media what's being uh, portrayed by Experts, economists, uh, and so forth, right? And, and the reality of it is that uh, if you look at what's the mindset. So let us bring it down to government levels, right? So federal government, what's their what's their what's their stake in the property market? Since we this property podcast, we talk about properties. Uh, what's their stake in the property market? So the negative gearing, they give a little bit away, but they claw back a whole lot when they uh, take take back the capital gains tax, right? Uh, and of course as people have that wealth effect, there's more expenditure, there's buoyancy in the market, there's consumer confidence, uh, and therefore the economy becomes robust. Now, as we went into COVID and the rates got lower, and people realised that, hang on, COVID could actually be an opportunity, my costs are down, I'm not travelling, let's spend. Credit is free flowing. Credit is free flowing. So the economy became really robust and and therefore inflation started to creep up as well because of supply chain constraints and the expenditure, right? The free fall expenditure of people uh, because they had surplus money sitting in the offset account uh, they needed to spend. It made them feel good. Um, They they brought forward plans of renovation. They brought forward plans of purchases, the amount of new cars that have been bought, all of those sort of things. Um, That created a runaway economy which we needed to quell, right? So uh, therefore, Reserve Bank stepped in, tried to quell inflation by uh, raising the cost of money. When you come down then to state level, state level, you'd you'd argue that roughly 30% maybe a little bit less of their revenue is from stamp duty and various property tax, like land tax and so forth. Right? And right down to council level, uh, your contributions and so forth. So they made a stack of money and now there's a bit of change afoot, particularly in New South Wales, we're to- toying with the idea of getting rid of the upfront cost and uh, bringing in a more longer term cost in terms of property tax.
0: The reoccurring income model. That's right. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah perfect model.
0: Yeah, uh, it's great.
1: For, yeah, it's great. Um, uh, and uh, more so fool's gold than anything else uh, when you really look at it. Uh, but all in all, that that's created um, the wealth effect that created a lot of expenditure. And now with the interest rates coming up and the new cliff edge that's coming in with, I think uh, Macquarie took out a survey that around 800,000 fixed loans will come off their fixed rates this year. So that's a big cliff edge. So they'll come off, say, let's say 2.5% to, say, 5.2. Huge, huge amount of increase in terms of repayments. And when you take that into account, obviously it's slowing down from that consumer point of view. And naturally, these governments, the various governments, will bring in incentives to re-trigger that big chunk of their income how are they going to do that? Entice people to buy more properties. How are they going to do that? Maybe, maybe tinker the first time on this grant, maybe make investing a little bit more easier, have some grants like the WA uh, government did during COVID, of, you, know, you build a house, I will give you 20K, no questions asked, those sort of things. And then on top of that, then we've now got all of these banks that make money by lending out money. And right now they can't as much. So they will then start bringing out new products, They will put pressure on APRA to reduce the assessment rate, like we were talking about earlier, Uh, and that will reignite the market. So uh, my belief is that this property downturn in inverted commas is going to be very short-lived because we've got too much at stake from an economy point of view to allow it to drift. Now, we're not going to go back into a boom, but it'll get into a stabilisation mode.
0: It's a good point because in and around a few things, the booms... The booms aren't at the end of every market, and mm-hmm. the media has this bad habit of saying something is either booming or it's busting. It's on or off. Yeah, yeah. there's there's never a, a moment of normality, which is what most of the market does most of the time. It does its gradual flex, I get. And then we get these random instances such as COVID, end of GFC, first time I grant back in 2000, and we have these, I guess, these booms. And mm. then even if we look at the subsets, like you go back to WA 15 years, 17 years ago, you know, because of the mining boom and, and different areas, same story, right? So there's there's never this period of normality, which I believe we'll be entering into. Yep. There'll be certain areas that outperform the market for sure. And there'll be certain areas that underperform because of various um, points or factors, I guess. Um, the, the other thing I wanted to talk about that you mentioned was this cliff face in and around fixed interest rates, right? And I know plenty of people that are coming from 1.99 on their principal places, which will end up at five percent, right? So it's yeah. a huge, huge difference. But there's also there's also been in excess of fifty percent of those fixed rates that have already gone into variable. Yes, right, and that's been absorbed. Mm. So if we use the future as a, um, if we use what's happened recently as a bit of a pathway to the future. The question is, will the economy or will the, the borrower absorb that? Mm. You know, yes, it'll be a rude shock to the system, yeah. there's no doubt, but they'd be thinking about it. Yeah, absolutely, now. especially
1: going into, into this uh, uh, market with a lot of savings behind us, right? We, we, it's a huge amount of savings that we've got in our offset accounts because of COVID and that's allowed that buffering to happen and the informed homeowner, and I, and I use the word homeowner quite, quite deliberately, they would know that, hang on, rates may come down, rates will come down, I need to just hold on, I've got the buffer, I don't need to get into a distress sale. So this thought process that this year will be a bloodbath, actually I think is incorrect and that's the conflicting signal here, in the sense that yes, the data says that there will be, but we need to take into account that people have come in with a lot of savings, a lot of people- Big have war chest. Cost efficiencies, yeah.
0: Correct, and I read a, I can't remember which uh, major bank it was the other day, their their research showed within their loan book that the average person with a home loan was some 15 to 20 months ahead of their mortgages.
1: So we've got at least 20 months up our
0: sleeve. Then when our you list. look at it via yeah. an offset or, mm-hmm. you know, whatever it may be, thanks to what we've experienced through COVID. So technically, slash theoretically, people will start to absorb that mm. at the higher cost of living, the higher cost of mortgages. And as before they have the necessity to sell... Yep. And as a result of that, what we have today as a data point, which we're seeing as, a, I guess, the truth in behind at, at ground level is less stock on market, hmm. yep. right? generally speaking.
1: Otherwise, if you looked at what what the data indicators are, there should be stacks and stacks of properties in the market right now. There
0: should be rivers of blood. Yep. And there should be record levels of inventory on the market. Mm-hmm. And there isn't. It is at lows. Yep. Right, And because people say, well, well, hang on, if I don't need to sell, what would I sell? I've got a bit of a war chest. Mm. I might ride this out for a given amount of time before I start to seriously think about it. The other thing you, you mentioned, um, which coincidentally, I've got some, some numbers here, um, in and around home owners. And we've talked before about how we believe people are far more sophisticated and entrepreneurial today, today than what they were 10 years ago, probably five times more than what they were 20 years ago and so the scale goes, yeah. And so people have the ability, thanks to technology, to perhaps create other forms of income or have more education, which is a key piece to all of this, yeah. Mm -hmm. But I think it was NAB did a survey um, to potential home owners, or first home owners specifically, yeah. So this comes back to our point around the desire is still there, contrary to what the media says. Contrary to what the d- the data says, the desire is still there, but the ability is not mm-hmm. via the increased servicing capacity. But so they did a survey of buyers aged between eighteen to twenty nine years uh, of age, and found right and this is where people are willing to sacrifice. Forty three percent were willing to reduce their purchase price. There you go. In so therefore in line with mm-hmm. what they can yep. afford, right in the bank size, thirty nine percent we're willing to buy with another person, Mm -hmm. so thinking outside the square. So whether that person is a partner, a friend, family member, whatever it may be, 33% would settle for a smaller block. Mm -hmm. So they don't want the big quarter acre block. Perhaps they don't even want the 600 square metre block. We'll take the 400 square metre block. And we see evidence of that throughout the country in terms Mm -hmm. of these smaller uh, subdivisions and, and how they sell very easily uh 30% are willing to buy in a non preferred location
1: that's interesting isn't it
0: very yeah now so if we if we i guess look a little deeper into that why would that be my guess is because of covid the work from home environment in combination with technology mm. don't need to live in postcode 2000 3000 4000 as close to the cbd office space because Things could have work changed from anywhere, correct? Um, and twenty-three percent were willing to buy an apartment instead of a house. So I guess that would roll into with affordability mm-hmm. um, and location as well. Conversely, only seven percent were not prepared to make any compromise.
1: So a very small number.
0: Very small number, right? So I remember years ago when we were doing a—I'm probably talking about seven or eight years ago, maybe ten. I think we were. I don't know, we were talking on stage somewhere or whatever it was. And we were saying, someone stood up and said, who was quite a bit older than us, different generation, saying, look, when we first bought a house, we did whatever it took. We worked 15 jobs. We didn't have curtains. We certainly didn't have flat screen televisions in every single room and an Xbox to boot and no flash cars, no jet skis, no boats. We did what it took to put our stake in the ground and Mm -hmm. we slowly but surely started to accumulate these other niceties, so to speak, which I guess they had some fairness to that, right? And essentially what they were saying is today's generation, which back then included you and I, weren't prepared to sacrifice. Yet if we fast forward to today and people's understanding of what a home does for them or the asset class does for them, people are starting to now ebb back the other way and make those sacrifices. They still might have the flat screen tellies, but they, they'll sacrifice location, they'll spac- sacrifice space and certainly purchase price. Yep. Now why purchase price is important is because it blows the, the theory, the myth, the, the narrative from certain people within the market that the best growing properties are the most expensive ones and are closest to the mm-hmm. CBD. It just, which we've never advocated, we've never believed in that and we've been quite vocal about it. We've always believed the affordable corridors and affordability is between the ears or yep. what you make of it. But if people are willing now to be able to purchase within their, um, or sorry, scale down their desires in terms of that price bracket to get a foot in the market, well then the affordable corridors, just like the GFC, start to, mm. I guess, outperform at the initial stages.
1: And and that's that's usually market recovery. That's what market recovery normally looks like, right? Now there's really a very strong data set out there saying that property prices have gone down in some areas 12, 15%, other areas 2%. Um, And when you really look at it, right, this is what the data does not give. When we went through COVID, so the first quarter of 2020, people sat back and said, oh, I, I, I don't know what this looks like. I'm not sure how it's gonna pan out. Then reality set in to say, well, yeah, you know, it's not that bad. I can actually buy something. So people started buying, and it started that runaway train of, I buy today. By the time I settle, my property is worth a lot more, right? So there's massive equity being built. So people jumped in with uh, combined with the lower rate, they didn't mind paying fifteen thousand, hundred and fifty thousand dollars, two hundred thousand dollars more than what the property really was worth. And the bank jumped on board on that fallacy, saying, you know what, yeah, I can see that value. Yeah, I can see that value. Here, here's your money, yeah, yeah, you can afford it. So now that the market is sort of you know, is flattening out, where the uh, urgency to buy has gone out, people have stopped paying the premium, which is the actual price reduction
0: mm. in most
1: areas. It's not, it's not that the values have fallen, the urgency to purchase has gone out of the market. So what, what we call the giggle money in the market has gone out. So this is something that the data can't really accurately say uh, because data is just a set of numbers. It's just a set of statistics. It doesn't take into account the human element that's involved in a moving market, in the various moving parts of that make a, a market, that make an economy That, um, you know, comes from the psyche of the investor, the homeowner, um, where uh, we are influenced not just by what the media is portraying, but what Joe Blow down the street has said. The broke brother-in-law. Yeah, That's it. Yeah, the broke brother-in-law. And uh, also, um, you know, us vying off the success or failure or the perceived, hey, it's really hard for me uh, conversation to say, you know what, I can do this, or I better not do this.
0: Mm. Yeah, that's a good point. And I guess with when, when we explore that a little further in terms of the data, I guess being a little distorted would mm-hmm. be a way to describe it. I know of some suburbs in Sydney, as an example, which had, I don't know, 40 to 50% growth over that COVID period, yeah. which is just know, unprecedented, ridiculous. Unprecedented, unprecedented. Yeah, ridiculous. We
1: have not seen this in our investing lifetime. Yes, yes we have. Oh uh, yeah, 2000. 2000, yes.
0: 2001. Um, which we've, you yeah, know, we often refer to as the, the doubling year because mm-hmm. it did double. It did. It did. Um, but so let's call it between 40 and 50% over that this this COVID period, yeah, which is well in excess of the historical averages. Mm-hmm. And as you referred to, there was a whole heap of giggle money in there. And there were properties in there that should have never have probably sold. So yeah, underneath high tension yeah. power lines,
1: which is, super, st- which we did well clear. We're well yeah. clear
0: of super, 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 uh, I'm going to call them, challenged streets mm-hmm. uh and that's flood very af- diplomatic it was wasn't it it's uh, and say flood affected yes. like, like realistically goes underwater so you have the combination of those three you could have still put a million dollars on that as a figure and had 30 people fighting over it and some of them sold mm-hmm. a lot of them sold you fast forward to today this short call it 12 to 18 months Now, you can't give those away. Mm -hmm. And the people. Unless you discount. Unless you discount heavily. So Mm -hmm. they're capitulating in terms of the price. And the data can't distinguish well, that's a good street, bad street, good house, bad house, bad scape, good scape. It just sees a number.
1: And therein comes the headline properties
0: have come down by 25%. Correct, right? Now, and it starts to affect, you get enough of those and it affects everything else Mm -hmm. in and around it in terms of those data sets, I guess. But in the same suburb, or maybe even the suburb next to it, bringing in real examples, there's been very little slippage mm-hmm. in terms of the value of the property because it's not under power lines, it doesn't go under water, and it's not in a bad street-scape area, yep. so to speak. So people still recognise value, there's still the desire to live there and they're willing to pay what they can afford mm-hmm. between what they know they can afford and what the banks tell them, yeah. what they can afford. And I guess that brings up a point in terms in and around affordability and, w- and what you mentioned earlier on with say the buffer rate mm-hmm. if the buffer rate reduces by from 3% to 2% because it's not fit for purpose okay. anymore um, so let's use that as an example the buffer rate reduces from 3% to 2% that adds in my very quick mathematical bad mathematical calculations and I'm certainly not a broker but probably around about 10% increase to serviceability mm-hmm. yeah. which is huge it's massive not to mention the inflationary pressures in and around wages and, mm-hmm. and what have you um, and if it's an investor, the rental income as well, which yep. is tacked on as, as income. But if we if we use that as a as a I guess a a piece of information or an example and we go back to twenty twenty, or even before that, go back to when APRA pulled the handbrake up mm-hmm. and made it you know, nigh impossible to borrow money if you were had any type of complexity around you, I guess. Or even for the normal person. So the, the, the ability to borrow X reduced substantially and what we saw in certain markets was that the price adjusted downwards mm-hmm. accordingly because that's what whoops that's what I've got to spend yep. as a majority so that's where the market settled. Mm-hmm. Conversely, we saw as COVID kicked or the handbrake the handbrake released. released. SCOMO won the unwinnable and uh, almost within months the prices adjusted accordingly upwards because now people could borrow more mm. money.
1: It's just confidence.
0: Correct. Go to and ability, mm. right? which is the big yep. piece here. And I guess the point I'm trying to make, then you go to COVID. Free flowing credit, record low rates.
1: Lots of savings.
0: Lots of savings. And everyone just bought and the, mm. and the prices went accordingly. Now we've got the reverse effect. Serviceability is down and the markets are adjusting themselves to where that affordability mm. point is, I guess. So you can have population growth, you can have infrastructure, you can have the challenges of the cost of money, but ultimately it's gonna be how much m- you can get.
1: Yeah, yeah, the,
0: the credit. Comes back. the to flow credit. of yeah. credit.
1: And, and if you look back, uh, so GFC is a good example, and, and I know we keep referring back to it, and, and for those that haven't been around in the investing circles or home ownership circles during GFC, it's a really good yardstick to use because it had all of the moving parts that we've got today except dressed differently. So if you look at the GFC, the interest rates that we were paying was 7 7.5%. Mm, right? Up and to and 9 Up to 9% mm. even. I remember having a 9.5% loan. Right? Yeah. Yet the spread, which was the rent coming in and the money going out, wasn't as significantly different to what it is today. Perhaps it was a bit better back then. So we've still got a lot of room for movement in terms of uh, the ability to hold on, uh, on to debt uh, uh through cash flow. Uh, it's just that we've just come off a very, very low interest rate base. And so it feels like the walls ended, but all we've really done is barreled back to normalcy. And perhaps only now with this recent interest rate rise, we're starting to push beyond that. Uh, even if you go back to the John Howard days, the cash rate was 5%, mm. right? So uh, we are 3, 3.25 at the moment. So there's still a whole room of for movement. And, and the beauty of things right now is that there are a lot more tools to keep us informed in that sense, so, which is a good and bad thing because it can create fear as well. Uh, and importantly, finance is a lot more easier in comparison to when it was back then because finance was not as free-flowing as it is right now. Uh, and so long as you are able to afford the cash flow to bankroll the portfolio bankroll your budget for the next 12 maybe perhaps 24 months we'd come out the other side by the time the cash flow constraint would ease out significantly we may not get great rate decreases but rates would stabilize rents would certainly go up um, the inflationary pressures may reduce and what's harder to hold right now would become quite easy to hold in comparison. So let's say it's costing you $500 a week to hold your portfolio right now. It might drop down to 350 at that point in time, which is which is a big reduction when you really look at it. So it's just having that planned approach and looking at the worst case scenario to say, what, what can I do to get in the cost efficiencies within the household budget? Um, and I'm not saying stop living, right? You still need to, in- investing needs to happen in the background life, needs to happen in the forefront within reason. So we need to look at those cost efficiencies. We need to look at, okay, can we turn, if we can qualify once the assessment rates come down, can we turn our principal and interest back into interest only for a little while so that we can weather this cash flow constraint period? Because what is on the other side of this scenario is some fairly strong growth.
0: It's a good way to put it. What's on the other side of this scenario is actually bloody exciting. Mm we just got to get there.
1: Yep, yep. And and set ourselves up. Set up the pieces. If you're playing chess, you're getting these pieces up to attack, but you're still taking a defensive approach in that sense as well.
0: Yeah, and I guess it reminds me of the expression, debt's a great servant, but a very bad master. Mm. And what that really meant, and we've talked about that before, is in very, I guess, in a short um, way to explain it is, when you're accumulating debt, you you need to look at the downside. You need yeah, to look absolutely. at the at the what ifs. So if you were continually doing, as an example, your calculations on taking a million dollars worth of debt at one point nine nine percent, that's going to be it forever, regardless of what the RBA governor said, interest rates won't go up till twenty twenty four. Right? That's it, you had to ignore that. You had to do your calculus on normal rates on normal rates because they were emergency levels and what have you, and have a plan for when that did happen. And so we we often talk about every single podcast, is one's no different, be liquid, liquid all the time, Mm -hmm. have the buffers in place and always be in a situation where you can sleep at night should the worst case happen. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, I think there is a big cohort of people within the general economy that haven't done so. Mm -hmm. Maybe because it was just naivety where they have never experienced it before, maybe they didn't have the right people around them, whatever it may have been. Uh, and I think it'll be those that have accumulated non-productive debt yep. that get themselves in trouble.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. And, and if um, you know, you're looking at buying property, whether it's a, it's a house, your home or an investment property, it still comes back to cash flow and you need to look at it from a viewpoint that the growth that we've had in the last two years is a little bit abnormal, right It does not happen that fast, not usually. Um, and when we get into the next couple of years, there won't be as significant a growth. It needs to go and settle back into its normal cycles of growth patterns. Uh, meh- perhaps those growth cycles will be a bit foreshortened because we'll, you'll get faster upwards. So we've created new ceilings in each area, right? Correct. And so it'll barrel back up to those ceilings if, it's, if it slips back. And uh, if there's enough momentum, it'll break past that ceiling uh, again depending on credit and depending on market confidence. So whatever you're looking at buying, your approach should be that, can I hold on to this for the next 20 foreseeable future? Perhaps 24 months. Um, and I'm not after immediate fast growth. I'm playing the medium to long-term g- game as property should be. And that will give me good standing in terms of how much value I'll be able to add into the portfolio. Again, if I flip back to the, the um, GFC, you and I were buying properties left, right and center and we're buying them at discounts and sometimes at value because we could see the opportunity around that property and holding it through that one cycle meant that we, we added immense value both from equity position, lendability because the lenders could see stacks of equity and equally importantly, the rental income skyrocket. Right. Yeah.
0: Correct. It's it's funny that you should say that because I think when in and around that growth piece and the market changing, I think where people get carried away is and especially now because of the COVID, I guess, growth trend um in everything, is that there's a there's a deal of people out there. There's a there's a, a portion of people out there that just think that it, it goes up every year. Does not. And that it goes up magnificently every mm-hmm. year and that they might even buy into the property doubles every seven years piece, mm-hmm. yeah, some lower. Um, I think what people need to understand, they should believe in it and they should account for it, is that we just, to some degree, for, for a, I guess a level of um, security, just look at our long-term averages, mm. right? Now, yes, there'll be places that outdo and perform better and their averages will grow because of whatever the reason. And some go the other way. But I think it's around about 6.3%. Yep. Yeah. Compound annual growth. If you just do your maths on that mm-hmm. and know that some years you'll get 12%, you might even get 20, you'll give back seven, you'll get nothing for four. And so the cycle yep. goes. But it will average out at that. That's how simple mm. it can be. Good valued properties, well-located properties, when you can afford to do so, when the bank will give you the money to do so, and activate. It can be that simple yep. without trying to overcomplicate it and don't make it exciting. Don't make it exciting. No. Okay. The exciting bit I guess is
1: Ten years down the track is the exciting it bit. It is, and it year. creeps up. Yep.
0: It creeps up very quickly. I know that like sort of contradicts itself, but it, it happens in the background and mm. you get to that point, you go, Wow, like that was pretty cool. It was very hard for when I first started, it was very hard for me to get my head around that. Yeah, you know, th- what property is going to double? Like this, this thing here is going to be worth two hundred and ten thousand dollars going back in the day, and it, it did. Mm. You know, it, it um, all the way through to today, which is eight hundred thousand. So, it's done pretty well over the last twenty-three uh, odd years. But I think if we keep it simple, mm-hmm. um, don't try and, I guess, go back to one of our podcasts just at the end of last year about timing and time timing. in the market. Yeah. How people so misunderstand that terminology about timing and time in and get it so wrong. Not only do the majority of people get it wrong, the media get it wrong, a lot of advisors get it wrong. Mm-hmm. Go back and listen to the podcast and you'll, and you'll see what we're, we're talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, exciting. Yeah, it
1: is. So this year, if you're looking at it from an investing point of view, there are a few things that we need to look at. Uh, one obviously is still, like we say in all podcasts: go back to the fundamentals. And what are the fundamentals? Cash flow, cash flow management, more to the point. The ability to uh, remain liquid in terms of mortgages. So what, what do I mean by that? Don't be silly and get, it, get yourself into a bind where there is no room for movement. In other words, don't get into a position where you've got absolutely no equity to maneuver in that sense. Now, some of it is beyond your control because you can't control the market as such. Uh, and then the third thing really is don't be silly. And don't just buy wholesale into, let's let's get into the market because there's going to be doom and gloom and buy anything. It needs to still be within the realms of um, uh, good management in terms of cash flow within your household. So um, the the type of property in the next perhaps 12 to 18 months really is not about cash flow. It's about squaring away. You've got to think, start thinking like a developer. Right. You've got to square away the land and wait for the wave to come. Right, Except you're not buying these big blocks of land. You're buying good properties that if things don't go your way, you're able to offload to the mum and dad homeowner or investor and able to walk away with your money by doing something to the property, obviously. Right, uh, and, and if you took that approach, you'll be able to navigate this next 12 to 18 months of conflicting signals Um, quite safely and come out on the other side with a very strong foundation of properties that you could come back to to do something with, whether it is to sell down, whether it is to revamp, whether it is to develop, or whether it is just to set and forget. Uh, And that'll then benefit from the next upswing of growth, uh, however long that may be.
0: And that takes time. Yes. Yeah, it's a slow process, but quitting won't speed it up. No. At all. So we need to believe in the process, trust in the process and know knows that it takes time. What about the, because we are running out of time, speaking of, there's that narrative out there that that real estate is a great hedge against inflation. Hmm. Do you buy into that?
1: Not really. Not really. Yeah, um, uh, look, there's arguments uh, to both sides of it. I, I look at it in the sense that if property prices are going up quite significantly, um, people spend... And co- expend quite freely, and therefore it does have that upward tick on inflation, right? And if property prices seem to be coming down, uh, um, people tend to step back because the wealth of the wealth effect, and there is lesser spending, which then puts a downward pressure on inflation.
0: Yeah, and it's the erosion of the dollar value. Yes, ultimately at the yeah. end of the day. And I guess th- one of the last things I want to quickly reference uh, is back to the federal budget in and around solving the lack of dwellings, Mm -hmm. roofs overhead that we have throughout uh, Australia. And I was reading a report uh, on one of the large uh, superannuation companies who were entertaining becoming involved, and we discussed that before why it would be so good for them Mm -hmm. from their point of view to be able to get involved in terms of, um, let's let's classify it as social housing or or affordable housing. But... And how the government was going to become involved, and in, as well as a stakeholder, mm-hmm. um, so to speak, if, and private enterprise. But if, if building social housing was so lucrative, then the pro- private sector would have been involved years ago. absolutely so. they would have been. Yes. Right? They're not the private sector, the superannuation funds are not going into this to lose money. Mm. They've got a responsibility to the fund, holders, to the shareholders. And everybody else involved. So I'm still, oh, I'm I'm out in terms of the jury is out on whether it'll even get off the ground mm. in its in its what was hoped that it would in that shape or form. And even if it does, we know that's years to come. Yet we have the the record levels of immigration, mm. or almost record levels of immigration, and certainly getting back to pre pandemic. Population growth yep. levels. We know the construction industry is still struggling massively. Um, we know that new home building starts. Finance has fallen off the side of a mm-hmm. cliff significantly. Yeah, uh, we know that we're undersupplied. So where to from here? Yeah. So wh- wh- where's the magic bullet? Mm. And this goes, I guess, back round to your piece in and around government in- intervention or in- incentivisation. Uh, whether it be by first-time owner grants, tax concessions, which I don't think will happen, um, federally and both from a state level, to entice or encourage investors, the private investor, the the retail investor to re-enter the market, Mm -hmm. is the only way out of this. Yeah, absolutely. Because it's instant.
1: Yeah, it's instant. And one of the easiest ways is to get rid of all the cost barriers of brand new property right because we need n- more properties right yeah. it's not it's not about established properties but brand new properties so get rid of all the cost barriers so what are the cost barriers it's all the federal and government
0: um, state parts. level yeah. red tape so a
1: big example would be your um uh, private open space contributions at council level which is paid by the developer if you got rid of that the developer can charge less in theory, um, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, it, it, we need to start looking at things differently from a governance point of view to 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 make this easier. Whether it is via grant uh, or whether it's via incentive, so that people can start building more properties.
0: And that comes down to zoning, yes, as well. So a rezoning of of open land mm. and if anyone in state government's listening i've got some <laughs> you can <laughs> resign that for me tomorrow i'll help you out it's um so there's a lot of moving parts here vic and i think it's a good subject that i guess the conflicting the conflicting information in and around mm-hmm. for 2023 and you could almost roll 2024 in that but yeah you know, as we've said before the days are long but the years are short so much can happen in the next 12 mm-hmm. months which can turn a market round very very quickly or crash it whatever it may yeah. be, and there are so many things that are out of our hands. And it's very fluid. Yeah. yeah.
1: So if um, uh, you know you found that interesting or if you um, thought that you needed more information, you needed to our expertise to help you through this maze this year, reach out to us via our website. There's a contact us form. Uh, there's a bit of a process, obviously, to get a piece of uh, mine and Steve's time. You can actually talk to us. Um, uh, Melissa Matheson from our office, she's a very well-versed property investor. She's the first point of contact uh, and uh, her role is to get you ready for a meeting with us so that when you do sit down with us, um, you are able to get the best out of our knowledge and you get you walk away with a clear guideline as to what you need to do or whether you don't need to do anything because it's not safe or you just don't need to do because you're so well uh, well set up. Uh, And uh, it does take a little bit of time to get to our diary, but we can guide you through all of that. Um, And certainly if you're new to our podcast, uh, do subscribe, um, follow us uh, and follow us on our Facebook lives. Go to our older versions uh, of these broadcasts because there is a whole lot of information uh, that is good, uh, solid information that can help you through this year uh, and keep you safe.
0: That's it. That's it. Oh, right. I was <laughs> waiting for you to say something else and another golden mic drop. No. Well, that's it. Um, first one for the year off. Our next one we'll have Phil Tarrant. Unfortunately, I know. Right. Yeah. Just uh, carry that bloke. <laughs> I know. Right. Big shoulders. Uh, Phil Tarrant from Smart Property Investment and Momentum Media back on, uh, as we do every second podcast. As you mentioned, we've got our Facebook Live. lives um, every second Thursday. A um, little bit of interaction, or you can listen to it for weeks mm-hmm. afterwards. But uh, as Vic mentioned, there's a, there's a wealth of knowledge through there uh, in, in regards to these older podcasts. And I don't know, test to see how accurate we were on our predictions over the years. It, um, it's interesting. Once again, thanks everybody for tuning in. Give us a thumbs up, give us a like and we will catch you next time. The information featured in this podcast is general in nature, does not take into consideration your financial situation or individual needs and should not be relied upon. Before making any investment, insurance, tax, property or financial planning decision, you should consult a licensed professional who can advise whether your decision is appropriate for
1: you.